Good morning, everyone, and welcome to this week's Highway Community Podcast. Fun fact, there's only one thing that the disciples specifically asked Jesus to teach them how to do. Spoiler alert, it was not how to turn water into wine, or how to make the blind see, or how to calm a storm, or how to feed thousands of people with just a few loaves of bread and a couple of fish, even though the disciples had seen Jesus do all of those things. No, the only thing that the disciples specifically asked Jesus how to do was how to pray. Luke chapter 11, verse 1, says that one day when Jesus was praying in a certain place, one of his disciples asked him, Lord, Teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. Now, throughout the four different accounts of Jesus' life that are included in the New Testament, we repeatedly see Jesus withdrawing. We repeatedly see him stepping away by himself to spend time with his Father in prayer. And the disciples' request for Jesus to teach them how to pray, reveals that that was not lost on them. But they saw Jesus' rhythm. They saw his practice. And they wanted to learn so that they could experience that themselves. And the prayer that Jesus shares with them in Luke chapter 11 is a shorter version of the prayer that he shares in Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 9. Jesus says, this then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from the evil one. Well, as I've been sitting with these really familiar verses, I've been struck by Jesus's words at the beginning of verse nine. And particularly, I think, in light of the disciples' request for him to teach them. Jesus says at the beginning of verse nine, this then is how you should pray. Jesus is very explicit about his purpose there. This is how you should pray. Notice that Jesus does not say, this is what you should say. He says, this is how you should pray. And that suggests that what Jesus is getting at here goes beyond the words. It suggests that what Jesus is showing his disciples here goes beyond the words. Now, that does not mean that the words themselves are not important, that they absolutely are. But when we look closely at the structure of Jesus's prayer, and when we look closely at the language, I think what we see is that for Jesus, how we pray really has to do with posture. 
there's a posture that that undergirds both the structure of Jesus's prayer and the petitions themselves. And and it's therein I think that lies the how. Jesus is is showing his disciples, he's showing us how to pray from the appropriate posture. And it's a posture we see from Jesus's prayer of humble boldness. We are to pray with humility and boldness. The first four words of Jesus's prayer, our Father in heaven, importantly remind us as we begin of who God is and of the nature of our relationship with him. And then from there, the whole first half of the prayer focuses entirely on God. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's hard not to notice the pronouns that are at the core of each of those petitions. There is not one first-person pronoun in the first half of Jesus's prayer. There are only second-person pronouns. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. And so the beginning of Jesus's prayer very much demonstrates for us that we are to put ourselves second. We're to adore God for, for all of who he is as we ask him to make his name holy and expand his reputation. We're to pray with God's kingdom as our lens and not our own. And we're to pray for God's will as opposed to our own will and our own plans and our own desires. And that posture of humility actually continues even after the pronouns do shift to the first person in the second half of the prayer. Because the first person pronouns that come are not singular, they're plural. And so it's not, give me this day my daily bread, or forgive me my debts, or lead me not into temptation. It's give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts. Lead us not into temptation. And so there's a very distinct sense in which we're to be mindful of the needs of others, right? ourselves included, but mindful of the needs of others as we pray. And the Lord's Prayer is fundamentally anchored, we see, in a posture of humility. Now, as we think about Jesus's teaching, uh, there's nothing that he loves more than what I like to call some provocative incongruity. You know, we see that uh, in the paradoxes that Jesus was so fond of. Statements like, the first will be last and the last will be first. Or, whoever exalts themselves will be humbled and whoever humbles themselves will be exalted. Uh, we see provocative incongruity in the Beatitudes, where Jesus says things like, blessed are the poor in spirit, 
and, and blessed are the meek. We also see it here in the Lord's Prayer as well. Because at the very same time that Jesus is showing us how to pray with humility, he's also showing us that we're to pray with boldness as well. At the same time Jesus is showing us in the Lord's Prayer that we're to pray with humility, he is also showing us that we are to pray with boldness. And that boldness is seen in the mood of all of the verbs. It's seen in the mood of all of the verbs. All of the verbs in the Lord's Prayer are in the imperative mood, which is the mood of command. Seven months ago now, our family did something that a lot of people have done over the course of the COVID-19 pandemic. We got a puppy. Didn't you already have two dogs, John, you might ask? Uh, Yes, we did. Uh, But these, as we like to say, are unprecedented times. And uh, and our puppy has been a great outlet for our 16-year-old daughter, who was the primary catalyst for this and is the primary caretaker of the new dog, uh, as she has been learning remotely this year. Uh, But it's also honestly been really good for the rest of us, too. And so in September, uh, we brought home a miniature Australian shepherd who we named Rico, uh, which is a name that has spurred a lot of nicknames. Uh, There's Uncle Rico, inspired by the character of the same name from the movie Napoleon Dynamite. Uh, There's the salsa-inspired nickname, Rico de Gallo. Uh, And then Of course, there's also Rico Suave, uh, after the 1990s song of the same name. And if you are familiar with that song, uh, you probably thought of it instantaneously when I said that our dog was named Rico. And if you're not familiar with the song, you should consider yourself blessed, and I'll just leave it at that. My favorite name for Rico uh, is an intentional mispronunciation of the word suave. I like to just call him suave. Well, the addition of Rico into our household has meant that our house has been uncharacteristically abuzz with commands as we try to train him. Sit, stay, come, down, leave it, look at me. That's the imperative mood in action. Parents are, are also familiar with this. Parents use the imperative mood all the time as well. Clean your room, do your homework, leave your sister alone. But those are all imperatives. They're commands. And, and it's interesting, that's the mood of all of the verbs in Jesus's prayer. But hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Give us this day. Forgive us. Lead us not into temptation. Deliver us from the evil one. They're all commands. And so as Jesus teaches us how to pray to our Heavenly Father, he teaches us to pray in the imperative mood. 
There is no hedging or pleading or qualifying in the Lord's Prayer. The spirit of Jesus' prayer, believe it or not, is that we're commanding God. We're calling him to do these things. And through that, Jesus shows us that we are to pray with boldness. We're to pray with boldness. But lest our boldness start to veer into bossiness, something else that we see is that the verbs in the first half of the prayer, in addition to being in the imperative mood, are also in the passive voice. In addition to being in the imperative mood, the verbs in the first half of Jesus's prayer are also in the passive voice. And that comes through in our English translation through the presence of the word be. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. And incidentally, even though the English translation obfuscates it, your kingdom come is also passive. And in the original language, it's something more literally like, let your kingdom be coming. Now, while the passive voice does not change the fact that these verbs are in the imperative mood, while it doesn't change the fact that these are commands, it does have the effect of communicating reverence. That the passive voice combined with the imperative mood communicates a reverence. It, it softens the tone. That the effect that it has is that it acknowledges that it's ultimately only God who can do the things that we're asking. It's ultimately only God who can do the things that we're asking. Only God can hallow his name and, and bring his kingdom and do his will. And in that sense, uh, the passive voice really punctuates this posture of humble boldness that it's at, that's at the heart of how Jesus invites us to pray. It's really the epitome of this humble boldness that, that characterizes the entirety of Jesus' prayer. And just a week and a half ago, on Ash Wednesday, we entered into Lent, which is a season of soul-searching and repentance that precedes Easter. And during our Ash Wednesday gathering, we talked about how Lent, uh, while it's most commonly seen as a season of sacrifice, is really more importantly a time to engage growth as we prepare to celebrate the miracle of life coming from death through Jesus' resurrection. It's a time to cultivate a deeper connection with God and a deeper dependence on God. And over the course of the next six weeks, uh, we are actually going to be using the Lord's Prayer uh, to do exactly that. As we allow Jesus' prayer to serve as an invitation for us to examine ourselves, consider the things that we rely on, assess the things that are holding us back 
as we make our way through the season and hopefully respond to the movement of God's Spirit so that we can intentionally move forward in our journey of transformation. And and inspired by that idea of the Lord's Prayer as an invitation, our series is entitled RSVP. And I love the symbolism of the graphic that was created for the series. Uh, There's a square box with the letters RSVP inside of it. And from the letter R, which of course in the language of invitations stands for respond, right? From the letter R, out of the letter R, a beautiful, multicolored, textured cloud emerges and expands. And the idea is that as we respond to Jesus, and as we allow him to guide us through this season, that through the petitions of the Lord's Prayer, something beautiful begins to flow out of us and into our surroundings. And that really is my prayer for each one of us as we journey through Lent to the celebration of Easter. That as we enter into this season, as we pray with Jesus and respond to the various ways that God's Spirit is inviting us to engage with Him, that we will experience all of the beauty and all of the texture of God's work of transformation in us and through us. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you this morning for the gift of this prayer and for all that it so profoundly shows us about how to pray. And Father, as we enter into this season leading up to Easter, as we come before you in humble boldness, I ask that you would lovingly help us to see ourselves and to see you more clearly. And that we would respond to your invitation to draw near to you. And that as we respond to that invitation, that you would deepen our faith and our trust and our dependence on you. Would you walk with us during this season? Would you search us, God, and know our hearts? Would you test us and know our anxious thoughts? Would you see if there's any offensive way in us and lead us in the way everlasting. Amen.